Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Get all the latest football headlines and bite-sized opinion in the brand new Whistleblowers Daily Podcast. Join Mark Smith, Martin Gritton and a conveyor belt of guests as they dissect all the biggest stories in one small, perfectly formed package. Take five to ten minutes out of your day to stay up to date with everything that matters in football. Whether it's a big result from the night before, a new excuse from Jurgen Klopp, a shocker of a VAR decision or a new chapter in the ongoing Man United soap opera, we will cover it. All the latest news every weekday lunchtime on the Whistleblowers Daily Podcast. Look for the Whistleblowers wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I am Boyd Hilton. Uh, Josh can't be with us this week for enigmatic reasons. So we are joined by the wonderful Ricky Lawrence. Hi, Ricky. Evening, Boyd. And the equally wonderful Adam Bernstein, uh, Twitter controversialist, himself. Hi, Adam. Evening, Boyd. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Still still doing um, baldest jokes about Ten Hag this time on your Twitter feed, I noticed. I've, I've been a reformed character. I tried not to say anything because I always fear coming on here and um, <laughs> having to justify myself to you. <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, I love your baldest jokes. They're great. That's fine. Um, how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I thought it was a great performance. I'm sure we're going to get into that. But, yes. Um, I'm yes. very good. We'll get into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we start, I need to a, a shout out to um, uh, a guy I met at the Emirates on Sunday. Um, I think he was called Neil. Yes, he was called Neil. And as I was tucking into my fish and chips on club level um, pre-match, he came over to me and said hello. And so he was a huge fan of the podcast. And um, so um, shout out to him. And it it, it does, um, it is lovely when people come up to you and say they like the podcast because it makes it all seem even more worthwhile than it obviously is, considering we've been doing it for like 20 years now. Um, so Ricky, you, Ricky and Adam, you were both at the game, I guess? No, uh, I actually wasn't. I actually wasn't at the game oh. yesterday. Um, I share my season again this season, which I'm obviously regretting given our star. But uh, the other the other guy I share it with had the ticket yesterday, so yeah. Oh, did you get to watch it on a? Uh, I did. I found screen. Yeah, no, actually got lucky. Um, fine. Yeah, managed to watch the whole game. No issues really. Excellent, excellent. Adam, you were there. You're staunch. You're, you are. You you go away quite a lot as well, don't you, Adam? Still. I do. I um. I actually flew back from Amsterdam on Sunday morning to um, wow to uh, ensure I could make it to the game, but very worthwhile. Yeah, so you witnessed the worst performance of the season and possibly the best or one of the best performances within the space of a few days. Yeah, agreed. And um, I think that was kind of why it came as a bit of a surprise coming off the back of quite a few slightly shaky performances to to play that well and be that um, dominant kind of almost throughout was um, extremely impressive. 
What was it like in in uh, the Eindhoven game though? What was the atmosphere like? What was it? Um, how? What did you feel about that performance first? Uh, I thought we were very. I, I don't know. It's kind of a hard one to tell because on the one hand you can sort of sit there and go Eindhoven scored five goals, and on the other hand you can sit there and go actually we played a really good offside trap, and that's why they scored three goals which were offside. But I just never really felt we quite got going there. Um, like just sort of, I never got like a we're in this game. We're hit. We're, it was a kind of small stadium. They were really up for it. I actually was very impressed by PSV as well. Um, from what I could see with a slightly restricted view seats. Um, but oh, yeah, really? how restricted was how restricted was your view? I would say there was a significant portion of the pitch which it was difficult to see. Wow, wow! <laughs> you go um, all the way. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You go all the way there on you know and. As a staunch uh, Arsenal fan, and you have a restricted view, that is that is a blow, isn't it? Yeah, it sort of almost felt to me like one of those old school European away games from about ten years ago. That it was just sort of complete free for all about where you were sitting, and as we hadn't got there early, was sort of up near the back where you just really couldn't see very much. Um, which I'd sort of forgotten happened. Yeah, what a nightmare! I actually was at uh, Leeds, and I had similar. I was at the back row of Ellen Road. And I had to crouch down to see the other half of the pitch, uh, which, I mean, I was going to say it was really annoying having spent, you know, a fair amount of the day travelling there, but obviously it wasn't quite flying to a different country, so I can't really complain. So Leeds is quite far, though. It is quite far. Fair. I'm going to Leeds on Monday, actually. If the, on, the day, on the day of the train strike, I'm supposed to be giving a talk to some students, media students, on Monday. And it is the day of the train strike, so we'll see if I make it. But did you did you watch the, the Arnhem game as well, Ricky? Because... It was interesting because Martin Keown, I don't know if you watched it on BT Sport, Martin Keown's halftime analysis was all about how brilliant our offside trap was, which I thought was quite funny. Yeah, I did watch it. And I've been quite, I mean, go into the fact that there isn't really anything to criticise Arsenal about this season or Arteta about, which may make for a short, pod, short podcast. But I have been a bit critical of how strong a team and squad really has taken to the European games, mm. um, especially given our start. Uh, I thought, I'm not saying he should have thrown the game on Thursday, but it did look like a game where one team had to win and the other team were probably happy to either get a draw or basically just not get injured. And yeah, I think he probably could have gone, Do you know what, let's get beat by PSV. And I, I think he probably would have had a, would have done if we were playing Chelsea yesterday rather than Nottingham Forest. I think that he probably thought, you know, let's go out, get a point, and then we can play all three of us, for example, next Thursday. But I, I think he probably got that wrong. But again, it's easy to say of hindsight. It's interesting, isn't it, Anna? What did because because uh, there is the, the real. I mean, we're doing brilliantly, right? We're top of the league. It's extraordinary. Two points out of Man City, whose strikers scoring thousands of goals, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and who have a squad worth one point two billion, and one of the greatest managers in the world, and we are above them in the league. But at the same time, as as Ricky alludes to. There's this kind of team selection dilemma we're going through, isn't there, I feel, like whereby he rests in the European games, he's resting four or five players, and the four or five players who take their place are clearly not quite good enough to ensure that we can win those games. I mean, well, the Arnhem game being the example of it, I guess. Um, so it's like a weird situation. Does he? Do you think he should rest more players for the European games? And And, and, in, and with the knowledge that, the backup players aren't really good enough to make sure that we win all those games in theory. Or should are you do... asking, is he going to rest Reese Nelson on Thursday for, for the Chelsea game? Right. Oh, it's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Saka apparently, Saka's injury, by the way, apparently is, is not too bad at all and may well. I'm sure I bet Saka will be playing in that Chelsea game. Okay. I wouldn't even be surprised. I know it's insane, but I wouldn't be surprised if he puts him in the squad in the European game, but we'll see. But Adam, what do you think about the whole, should he, shouldn't he rest players situation? So ordinarily, I think I'd completely agree with Ricky. I think it's a very weird season for two reasons. One being the obvious one that there's the World Cup in the middle of it. But the other one being that we also had, I think, like one game in a month or two games in a month because the Queen died. So, I, so you know, for example, when Martinelli started at home um, against, I think it was, I think he started at home against Bordeaux, normally I'd have been like, why the hell is this guy playing? And the, but, he, you know, he really hadn't played a lot in the previous month. So you're kind of sat there going, well, actually, it kind of makes sense for him to play Um you might get a lot out of it. And uh, I don't know. I think we've sort of been a little bit unlucky in the sense that um, 
Bodo, quite a tricky side to go away to. They had an extremely good home record before. And this PSV side have actually been surprisingly quite good. So despite it being a Europa League group, I don't think it's it's just been as weak as some of the teams we've played in the past in the group stage, where really you could have almost played anybody. I remember Wenger playing sort of Reese Nelson at right wing back and that sort of thing and, and doing quite well from it. So ordinarily, yeah, I'd be with Ricky here. I've been I am slightly more relaxed about it. I think the difficulty is we're still not quite sure how good Arteta is at rotating. And it feels like you look at the second half of the season, you look at how the Man City game was called off for us to be able to play PSV the other week at the Emirates, that we are going to have to do a lot of these guys playing three games a week against Premier League opposition, who are arguably better than Europa League opposition. And we're just going to really struggle. Yeah, what do you think? It's interesting, Ricky, was it? Because he did. He was asked about it in, in interviews last week, Arteta, and he basically came out and said, quite controversially, that the players have to get used to playing two or three games a week, don't they? He kind of like, he was like, no excuses. They should be able to cope with it. Um, I'm not going to tell them they're allowed to be tired. And I felt like was quite, I quite thought that was quite a good thing for him to say, whether he believes it or not, because wouldn't you rather have him instilling them the psychological confidence that they can cope with this level of a number of games this season or you know, go the other way. Because meanwhile, Pep Guardiola, who I guess knows what he's doing, he was he was complaining about his 1.2 billion squad being stretched and knackered and tired. And he said that they barely had, he was really funny, he said they barely had, you know, energy to lift up their mobile phones and check on Instagram. Um, so it's quite an interesting contrast in the way the two of them are handling this whole kind of idea of resting players. Yeah, I think the, the thing for me, and I agree with Adam, that our, our group hasn't been easy, but I said to like friends the other day that he sort of played these players into the ground, which is probably a bit extreme. But I also go back to last season where players were out on their legs and it wasn't his fault, you know, unless you put all signings down to him and in fact we didn't make enough. It wasn't his fault, except, you know, you love to be able to say Saka play one game a week. Saka hasn't need, you know, he's played loads of football. He probably hasn't needed to play in any of these Europa League games, but he has done. Whereas players, you know, like De Bruyne, Kane, you know, the list goes on and on. They're playing in the Champions League and you can understand why they have to play all these minutes. Whereas for us, just take advantage of the fact that we're in a weaker tournament and probably roll the dice a bit more. Play, you know, even... I feel like he's subbed off like Lekonga every Europa League game. Maybe he hasn't every Europa League game, but he's subbed him off a fair bit. And you think, leave him on. You know, he's one of the ones that doesn't matter if he plays because he's not going to play at the weekend. Um, Marquinhos has come off. That's what frustrates me, but I'm not looking to criticise it's just probably been the only thing you can criticise them for. I think the big thing for me is we've probably only really had one game where you're really frustrated because I think everyone probably agreed that we did all right against United and we were unlucky. But Southampton, which I just feel like if we hadn't have played a, a, a strong team against PSV, we'd probably pick up all three points. But our players looked tired. I also thought, I know this isn't a Southampton uh, podcast, but he um, he made the wrong subs in that game. But it cost us the fact that we, you know, players have played too many minutes, I think, three days prior, rather than having a rest, especially because Southampton had a game that week as well, because it was, would, would have been a, you know, uh, a round of Premier League fixtures. But obviously, we got the win against PSV that week, and we lost the, the week after. So maybe if we hadn't have played a good enough team and lost against PSV at home, then we would be having a different conversation. It's really hard at the end of the day. And it's very easy with hindsight to say he played this player when he shouldn't have done, and he played this one with too many minutes. So... Um, you know, it's it's unfair probably yeah. to criticize too heavily. No, I, I think it's I think it's totally fair. I think it's fair to kind of ask the question, isn't it? Because it is, it is as you say, it's the only thing you could fault him for this season, Adam, isn't it? It's like you know, we're top of the league, we're top of the we're top of our group. We've we've qualified. We just want to win the group. Um, but apart from that, and you know, we played we played really well against, you know, an admittedly terrible Nottingham Forest team, apart from a couple of defensive errors, won five nil after that defeat in Europe. You know, we've we, we've come bounced back from that immediately as we bounced back from the setback against Man United as well. So the it is to labour the point, it is only this whole whole issue of how much does he, you know, ha- it's almost like because he knows his first team so well, that team that played against Forest is clearly the first team, isn't it? It's like that, you know, in every sense, those are his, those, those are the players he picks first. So when two or three of them 
aren't playing, it's definitely going to have an effect, isn't it? It's the question. It's the question of whether. I mean, some people think he should. should he should. Um, drop more players for the league games. And, you know, I've seen LeGrove, for example, on Twitter, who's always been complained about the, the fact that Arteta doesn't rotate enough. He thinks he rotate more in the league. I don't feel that way. I feel like that would be outrageous thing to do if he suddenly started rotating in the league. The, the thing which I think is interesting about the Europa League compared to the Champions League is if you play Champions League, you might play Tuesday or Wednesday night and then you'll play Saturday or maybe even Sunday. Whereas you look at, and we actually played extremely well against Forest, we played Thursday evening and then played Sunday lunchtime. And that's just a much tighter turnaround. And you always have that turnaround. And I'm not a doctor or physio or whatever. But to me, that strikes me as something which is going to be harder on, on you as an athlete than it would be to have, you know, at least three or four days rest. And that, I suppose, is the big difference, apart from the level of opposition, about why actually, if you're playing Champions League, it's probably easier to play twice a week than if you're playing Europa League. Yeah, someone did point out. I mean, that Saka had a really good game until his injury, Ricky, didn't he? And and he obviously yeah, he didn't. Well. He didn't play. That was one of the few times he hasn't played in in Europe. Um, he, did, uh, he did. He did come on, didn't he? He came on. Yeah, he did come yeah. on. They all came on. Everyone came on, didn't they? Yeah. Everyone came on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, completely. Um, but it was. But he, you know, he doesn't. He didn't look. He doesn't look tired, does he? He doesn't look. Um, you know, I mean, how would you know? But no. I think. John. Yeah. So I th- he didn't look tired, but the problem is, and I'm always quite wary of this, and I probably sound a bit uh, silly, but like, it's not just tiredness, it's the ability to pick up an injury. So mm-hmm. the last thing we want is Saka playing on Thursday night, for example, fresh as a daisy, if he was, but, and then someone makes a bad tackle and he's out for a month or two months or three months or he breaks his leg, whatever. There is always, and I know you could say that, you know, you could break your leg at any point, at any time, but if they're sitting at home, they can't break their leg. And I just feel like that, you know, even on Thursday, he didn't necessarily need to chase the game. He could have gone, do you know what? This game's done. Leave Jesus on the bench. Leave Sack on the bench. I know it's very, very it would be difficult to do that. And he probably would have got stick for that as well. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking to criticize Arteta. I think it's just that he could probably box a bit more clever. And yeah, Saka did look Saka did look really good on Sunday. And that's the problem. Is that half time we're one nil up. I thought we weren't fantastic in the first half and our best player got injured and we were throwing Reese Nelson on. The drop off is so big. And I know I say that now after Reese Nelson goes on and scores two goals and gets an assist. But at that point I was a little bit concerned because of our previous Premier League games we looked tired in the second half and weren't good. And we just lost our best player. And we were bringing on someone who, up until Sunday, I don't think I'd seen play well for Arsenal. And I was concerned. So it's not just being fresh, it's about not being injured. And I think that's almost just as important because are we? I, I don't understand. You said about someone saying that we can rotate in the league. I don't know. Other than maybe Zinchenko and Tierney and Ben White and Tommy Eswick, who else could we rotate? Oh, no, I agree with you. I agree with no, you. I know you weren't. Agree. I, I, yeah, can't, yeah, yeah. I can't get my head around it. Oh, I, I, I think... I, I don't. I don't even. I think actually think his level of rotation in Europe has kind of has has been about right. You know, I think like I think he's judged it pretty brilliantly, considering you know we are going to qualify, and I, I do think there's a big drop off between you know Jesus and Enketia, for example, and holding and Saliba or whatever or whoever you know, e- even Gabriel, who we know is. You know, prone to prone to some mistakes. As he, he made it, he, he almost gifted them a goal on uh, Sunday, didn't he? But I think there's a big drop off. But as you said, in, it's not the Champions League, and I think he's, he's he's making a calculated, taking calculated risk in these games. I think if he started playing any of those players at all, unless we got players injured in in the in the Premier League, he people would be astonished. People would be, wouldn't they? But I did think interestingly, you brought up you know um, Reese Nelson coming on. The interesting thing was that substitution. I thought that was a surprising substitution. I thought I assumed he was going to bring on Eddie Nketiah, you know, and to play wide or whatever. But it was turned out to be genius, one of the great substitutions of all time, didn't it? I mean, absolutely extraordinary. Who would have guessed? Who would have known? I thought it was going to be Vieira. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I was very surprised. And someone else said Nketiah. I, I thought Vieira. And I would say... The only player that has worried me that has featured a bit more is Vieira because I think the last three games, four games, he's, he's probably looked a bit concerningly bad. But it, it, it's early days, of course. I'm not writing off for one second. But I think when you describe the drop-off of our players, I don't think it's big. I think it's absolutely huge. And it is a concern because I think we are one injury away 
in most positions from it. But I know everyone's this isn't news, but we are, you know, Jesus to Enketa is huge. Um, Saka to Reese Nelson, and I don't think Reese Nelson necessarily is the next player in, but it's huge. Uh, the centre backs drop off unless you okay, you can play Tommy Yasu, probably a right back, and Ben White can sign the centre back. That's massive. Our goalkeeper is uh, drop off is is probably massive as well. That is the concern. That is the one concern. We've got very lucky this season. We haven't had an injury, and really, we've got two more games to get through, and then hopefully, you know, come as soon as as soon as we can bring. I know we've got still got Boxing Day fixtures and whatnot, but we need to sign players quickly because we are two or three injuries away or two or three players getting injured away from this season sort of going in a completely different direction. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, what did you make of the um, the recent substitution and, and, and the whole drop-off theory? Um, well, well, I actually think it kind of spoke to that, that exact point that the squad, and we sort of knew this when we went into the season, that we uh, made the decision not to sign Douglas Costa at the price where the wanted. We were probably at least one or two short. If you, I mean, for, like, I'm delighted for Nelson, it went well for him. But if you can make him into an option and he can be like a viable option off the bench and someone who can play a reasonable number of minutes, that's like a really big thing. I think last time I was on this pod, we've just been hammered away at, um, not hammered, but, you know, thoroughly beaten away to Crystal Palace. And we were talking about whether Eddie could come in. And Eddie did come in and made a real impact towards the end of our season. He probably isn't, you know, an absolutely top player. But you look at Liverpool, who are probably the team who, we're trying to emulate. We're never going to be City in terms of the amount of spending. And they got like really telling contributions out of people like Divock Origi and Shakiri, who are pretty average players. And if we can do the same out of people like Eddie and Ketio and Reese Nelson, and they can make quite telling contributions, not, you know, they're not going to be the players who are going to take us to the next level, but who can be useful squad players and, and contribute quite a lot. I think that could be really helpful. And not to get too into like, oh, well, we should run this club like a business, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing Liverpool have done extremely well is actually sell players and get good money for people who are quite limited players. Um, Nico Williams came on for Forest with about 15 minutes left. I've seen him play a few times. I think he's an extremely limited footballer. They got £17 million for him. Um, if we can get Nelson in a few games in the shop window, they can good. This is quite cynical. If you could sell them for 20 or 25 million pounds, that's like a real thing which you can then use, as Ricky says, to, to spend, if not in January, at some point in the future, um, to bolster the squad. So I was happy for Nelson. I, mean, I really hope he kicks on and does well for Arsenal. But if not, you kind of hope that he can be something which we've not done well in terms of selling players, actually bring some bring some money in and, and trade up. Yeah, I think that comparison with Liverpool is really interesting because I, I I was thinking on on Sunday watching the game that we are the new Liverpool in many ways. Like you know, I mean, partly because we are the only team we're we're challenging Man City, and we're doing it in a in a you know in a kind of more you know we're we're doing it with our own spending money in the same way in a similar way to Liverpool does. You know, not through not through having a massive oil based um, Middle Eastern country uh, running us, but. You know, there's something kind of slightly more authentic about the way we 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 buy players and kind of the way we play in a way against with Liverpool at their best. You know, Liverpool's collapse this season is a massive boost, isn't it? As well, Ricky, like that is such an unexpected gift. You know, there's almost like two massive unexpected gifts. One is that we're brilliant and we've we've won all these games and we're top of the league. But on top of that, we've taken the place of Liverpool as being Man City's closest challenges. It's kind of incredible. Yeah, is it too um, getting carried away to say it's a shame they're doing so bad because maybe they could challenge Spurs? Yeah, fourth, yeah. You know, top four. You know, obviously we're going to be so far ahead of everyone. Yeah, uh, well, they're yeah, playing Spurs they're this top weekend, top. aren't they? I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they are. We've yeah. got Chelsea. They've got Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Well, we'll talk more. We'll talk more about this and the game itself. We haven't actually talked that much about the game itself. We will and predictions. And uh, I want to ask Adam about how excited he is about Aston Villa's new manager. Uh, all after this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
And we're back from the break. Um, so let's talk about the, the game specifically, the 5-0 triumph. Um, we did. You're right, Ricky. The first half wasn't brilliant, was it? And in fact, the thing happened in the first half was we went 1-0 up. We start every single game, even the Eindhoven game. Well, like that's our new thing, isn't it? And I think like I'm I'm pretty sure that last season we didn't start games well, particularly often. Like it took us a while to get into games. It was almost like the opposite situation. Now we're straight in there. We go hell for the leather. We create chances within the first few minutes. I'm almost like surprised if we don't score in the first few minutes of games. But then when we do, in the last few weeks at least, again, to be slightly hypercritical, we kind of end up losing momentum some way towards the middle or end of the first half often. And often they, the opposition have chances as actually, you know, Nottingham Forest did most of them gifted by uh, some dodgy defending. Am I being slightly harsh, but, you know, but then the second half we took over, but the first off there was definitely that flaw, wasn't there that we didn't kind of maintain our domination throughout the whole of the first half. Yeah. I think, you know, it's like all football clubs, the better you do, the more expectations rise. So if that game was near at half time, we'd probably be going a bit disappointed, but you know, we'll come out second half and we'll probably win. Whereas now we go one and up, it's like, why are we not winning 2-0? Um, yeah. which is an H of the beast, really. But I do agree, I think, and it's also because of Southampton, we were uncomfortable, we end up drawing leads. We were not comfortable, but we we were in the second the first half was even, the second half was you know, like nothing I think any of us have seen for various reasons. Um, so I think that was probably in the back of a lot of fans' minds. But we start we start games so well. It's just like unbelievable. It's a, it's a joy to watch. And um, yeah, I mean, the, the difference, I guess, between, you know, not that we played the hardest oppositions in previous games, but Nottingham Forest were particularly bad, especially in the second half. They did not lay a glove on us. And they may as well have thrown in the towel and it just was so easy. I mean, every time we got the ball, it looked like we were going to go forward and score. So I think, you know, I don't want to say if we were playing against the higher opposition, we might have been tested like we were in the previous two games, but we weren't. And we just, you know, just killed them off really, didn't we? Yeah. The other slight um, hyper, being hypercritical um, issue, Adam, I guess, is that even when we scored five goals, um uh, Jesus was not one of the scorers and hasn't scored what for now five games, I think seven, seven, seven games, seven games. That I mean, but he was was the official man of the match. He was certainly one of the contenders man of the match, and I thought he had some amazing. I like watching him. I know it's a bit of a cliche how hard he works, but it is ex- amazing to watch him tracking back and tackling a player in our penalty area, and then launching an attack himself, which almost leads to a goal or almost does lose a goal. He's, he is, I absolutely love him What and what he does, but he's clearly not an amazing finisher, is he? I think, isn't that fair to say, Adam? Yeah, I, I think that is fair. But I also think we we wanted to probably a 20, 25 goals a season guy. I actually think he probably will get that by the end of the season. But we had that before in Aubameyang and we were not a team which could compete because we were not a sort of, great holistic team which could play together and you know as a system kind of really really worked and I just kind of feel that we are now and the things we used to not have we just really that goals for midfield even the guys who ostensibly sit kind of deeper in our midfield like Xhaka and Party, really contributing quite a lot of goals this season um so it's slightly frustrating that Jesus is going through a, a bad patch but the difference is when Lacazette was doing that last season we wouldn't score at all now we score five he's still doing so much off the ball in terms of or not just off the ball on the ball um contributing so I just think he'll come through this he'll score again he isn't the best finisher ever but that's sort of why he you know basically why Man City were willing to get rid of him and bring in Haaland he's not as good as Haaland don't think any of us are suggesting he is but he's still a brilliant player and we should be really happy to have him yeah um Ricky, John, I don't know if you saw Jonathan Liu in The Guardian wrote a brilliant article, I thought, about him saying that he's dead clearly like a scoring one goal in three kind of player, and we just have to accept that. But he's perfect for Arsenal because of the way he is completely, like, A, defending from the front so brilliantly. He's so on it from the start. And his creativity and his, his you know, his creation of goals for other players is is, is astonishing. I think I've been I've been astounded by how good he has been. And mm. I completely agree. Unfortunately, he's, he's clearly not a brilliant finisher, but I don't care unless we need him to score. And we only needed him to score against Southampton. Is in when he's missed chance. That's the only game where it's been frustrating that he's not a good finisher. 
in the other games, I don't really care if he hits three straight at the goalie when it's through on goal, if we win. And no, nor would any other Arsenal fan uh, you'd like to think. But he's just been incredible. Right? I mean, it was the first few games, I couldn't almost believe what I was watching. He was just doing things which I hadn't seen an Arsenal striker do since, I don't know, maybe in my, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just been absolutely fantastic. And yeah, he's, he's, he's not a great finisher. But the things he, the other things he does, forget even the tracking back, just the way he wins the ball high up the pitch, the, the way he holds off defenders, brings players into play, is a, a, absolutely brilliant. I can, I couldn't have asked him to be any better, other than just you know maybe maybe putting the ball in the net a couple more times. But otherwise, just been absolutely yeah. fantastic. But the, again, without repeating myself, unfortunately, the only negative is that the drop off last season when it was Lacazette and Nketiah playing, it was like. You know, okay, who's going to play this week? Doesn't really matter. Whereas this week, it's unless Jesus starting up front, then I think every Arsenal fan is going to be worried. Yeah, he his his speed of thought, I think Adam is 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 the thing that really I think he's so fantastic at. Like he he can he can he almost like magically works out the best out ball from when he is defending or when he's tackling one of their their players, and some of it is just passing in his vision, and he just seems to have this kind of extrasensory perception of where everyone else is it's i guess that maybe that part of that is down to pep and pep's coaching or whatever um but it is a worry isn't it do you think do you think we need i mean realistically are we going to go out and in in the in the transfer window and try and get back up forwards and midfielders i wonder if we really are adam i I wouldn't be surprised to see us spend in the transfer window i think we would probably we acknowledged when we went into the season at least one player short in midfield. Um, I actually think it's clear there is a drop-off from, you know, a large drop-off, as Ricky says, from Enketia to, to, oh, sorry, from Jesus to Enketia. Um, but I can't really see us going out and spending big money on that in the middle of the season. Um, and I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure who the guy would be anyway. Um, happy to be proven wrong on that if, if, if we do, but that would kind of be my hunch. Yeah, I, I don't think we'll sign a strike. I, I would love us to. Um, someone who's a bit different, I don't know, no point necessarily looking at names, but I think we have we I, I think we have to sign at least at least two players because I think we're light on the wing and in midfield. In the midfield, in midfield, we're just we're a party or jacker injury away from that's mm. it, that's it kind of thing. I Particularly mean, party. I think yeah. I, I feel like party is the most kind of difficult to to um replace player in the whole team in a way because he runs things so doesn't he he kind of no uh you say that but he's i think been the only one that actually has missed some games and i know one of them was man united and i don't that part has been for the most part of the season been fantastic but i think it's difficult to say that we've missed him more than we miss jesus okay. we miss him more than we miss shaka i mean i've probably been on this podcast before and said Probably give, this is, this gives me a chance. I assume Granite does listen to this podcast. Of course, uh, no, 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 good because uh, I've, I've like I can't tell you how how mean I've been about him. Not I would never. I'm not one of those people that abuses him. Actually, I mean, you weren't the only one. <laughs> no, of course, of course. I mean, you know, I'm not like I said, I'm not the sort of person that you know. I don't I don't send him messages on Instagram or anything like that. It's just privately. Um, but I think it's almost been. been very quickly, it's, oh yeah, Jacques is a brilliant player for Arsenal. I think I, I'd struggle to name anyone that's been better in the league other than obviously Haaland and maybe De Bruyne. Like, I think he's been phenomenal. Like, I mean, I think people just quickly grown accustomed to the fact that he's playing really well, but forgetting that he's been, he hasn't just been good for Arsenal. I think it's been, that's been the narrative, oh, you know, he's turned around his Arsenal career, but he's been absolutely unbelievable in pretty much every game. Yeah. From the first minute to the last, like it's just been, it's insane the turnaround from even this time last season to, and it was very good towards the end of the season. He's probably our best player, I would say, in the last, maybe from January onwards, but he's just kept on that form and just picked it up in another however many years. And it's just been unbelievable. I'd say maybe he's our most important player right now. I'd just say Jesus because we have no one that can fill his boots, I don't think. But yeah, I think Jack has just been, it's, a bit, it's incredible. Yeah, Xhaka has been. It, 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 it is. I mean, he gave the ball away once in the I did say the problem is we have, yeah. I'd say, four players that are very, maybe five, you include Ramsdale, but four players in our centre-backs and Xhaka and Party who are who seem to love giving the other team an opportunity to score. Gabriel, 
is the worst cop. Actually, Jacker, that's what I mean. You can't, it's difficult to pick. Saliba's given away a penalty and scored an own goal. So he seems to have got, got in on the act quite quickly. But uh, other than that, those four again have just been fantastic. But Xhaka, Adam, you're, Rick is right, isn't he? It, it, and it has been that, isn't it been that like tweak to his position, which again, which Arteta has to take massive credit for, doesn't it? Just kind of giving him that more advanced role um, that he has. But he's, but he is everywhere as well. He was absolutely everywhere against Forest, and he is just the best. He's just the most improved player in in history of Arsenal. I just can't think of any other example. He's, he's it's some yeah. I think I think he's been absolutely superb, and I think kind of what Ricky just spoke to you kind of speaks. You know, he's saying he can't quite decide who who the best player is. Shows how far we've come. And I actually kind of thought that looking at all those goals we scored, that they were goals of like real, real technical quality. Um, the the first Nelson goal, it really didn't look like we were going anywhere, and then Jesus and Odegaard just just work it brilliantly for him. Um, and I know you said you wanted to talk about Unai Emery it kind of really did show to me how far we've come since the days of having players like Pepe, Joe Willock and Lacazette that we just kind of look like a transformed side and and and, and Xhaka, you know, is one constant from that era. But the way that it kind of, I think it helps playing in a proper team with a proper system, you can just look like a much, much better footballer. And he really has been excellent throughout the season. And I never quite saw it coming. I, I sort of used to look at him and Lacazette and say, these are the two who were signed when we play Champions League every single season and we've never qualified for the Champions League with either of them. And we still haven't qualified for the Champions League with Jacques Arantin. But this season, it looks like we will do. And maybe that's a sign of he, you know, it was Lacazette who was the problem all along. Um, no, don't say um, that. No, no. Um, Jacques was, Jacques, this transformation is the transformation because back then he was a liability regularly. I mean, we can't airbrush history, you know, whereas Lacazette may have had his issues, but he wasn't as much of a liability as Jacques, I feel. Like he was limited. He had his limitations. There were times when Lacazette, I mean, you don't need to rake over this whole ground again, but there were times where Lacazette was ingrateful and was, you know, but anyway. Uh, but more importantly, about Unai Emery, do you feel like, here's my question, right? Because if you remember, you know, I mean, new manager of Aston Villa. Some would say that's that's you know his level. I don't know if that wanted to be too disrespectful to Aston Villa or Unai Emery, but it's astonishing to think, isn't it, that when Unai Emery was given the job, Arteta was heavily in contention. It was kind of, I think, it was down to the two of them. And they were definitely like both interviewed, and you know, a lot of people thought that Arteta would get it, and it was slightly surprising. I think at the time that Unai Emery got it over him. Do you, do you think if if Arteta had got the job back then? When they gave it to Emery, I wonder. Do you think like we'd be in a completely different position now, like even more ahead of where we are now, or do you feel like somehow this? I mean, we can never know. I'm I'm asking you to imagine history rewritten, but I think it's an interesting question. You know, do you think like actually we needed to go through what we went through with Unai Emery to get to where we are now? I think I think we were definitely more patient with Arteta because of having been through the through the Emery thing already. I mean, it's obviously hard to say what would have happened. In the COVID, in the kind of full, full COVID season, um, if fans had been in the stadium, and maybe the results would have been different. But I think that run of form we went on from September to December 2020, if those had been the actual results with fans in the stadium, and we scored whatever it was, like two goals in three months, there's no way he would have survived. Um, um, so, so kind of, you know, maybe it's a bit of a moot point. But I, I, I think yeah, he might have been helped out in getting a bit of time through the through the Emery debacle. Equally. I do think Emery took the club backwards a very, very long way. And so Arteta had to start from a much lower uh, starting point in terms of the players he had available, how they've been coached, you know, what they were ready to do, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think he still would have done a good job. But also, no, he got like another, what, two years learning off Pep, who, mm. um, regardless of what I might say about his hairline, is clearly a great coach. Um, so I, I don't know. I find it very hard to say. I, yeah, I think he, did, he would definitely have done better than Emery. I'll go, I'll go that far. Yeah, what what did you feel when you heard that um, Aston Villa was getting getting you an IMRI? Well, it's weird to have another team who you suddenly have to hate in the Premier League. But, um, <laughs> uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible, isn't it, Ricky? Because he is a widely respected, you know, slash, and certainly in in European competition, successful manager slash coach. It yeah, was just I, a terrible fit for us, wasn't it? I think when when at the top of the show when you introduced Adam as uh, I think it was controversial on Twitter I had a quick had a quick look and I only had to see his post from I think it was yesterday to knew, to know that I was going to agree with everything he said because his picture was Emery out so <laughs> yeah. I was I was fully on board from uh, from that straight away I, I, I again I, I 
had to climb down massively over Granite Jack, and I'll do the same over Mikel Arteta because I was very happy for him to be relieved of his duties as well. Which, yeah, obviously, I'm uh, whether I'm regretting or not, but I'm yeah, happily, happily climbed down on that one. Um, but you know, I guess we're still only in we're still, well, we, November tomorrow, so it's early days. Anyway, I think that Unai Emery will not do well at Aston Villa. I think he's probably suited to Spain. I would be very surprised if you know, in any Arsenal fan at any point soon is regretting swapping managers, not just because we're doing well, but I just I, my hunch is that he won't do a good job there. I wouldn't say wouldn't you you wouldn't, wouldn't use the word despise, but I wasn't far off. <laughs> Feeling those feelings when he was managing Arsenal, it was I can't really think of many good times. So yeah, very happy to see the back of him. And I don't know if I agree with Adam. I don't necessarily have to hate Aston Villa. I don't have any ill feeling towards Emery. I just didn't want him to be the Arsenal manager. So yeah, yeah. I slightly feel sorry for them because unless he's improved his communication skills, then that's going to still going to be um a big issue i feel yeah, I'm sure many are asking fan are waiting for his first evening yes. press conference yes exactly yes indeed adam do you think um were you ever arteta out by the way adam were you staunchly supportive of arteta through thick and thin through the kind of that time you talked about when you know we, we weren't scoring and we were playing pretty terrible football i, I thought he should go then and i sort yeah. of you know, i sort of do regret that now but at the same time you look back at it and there was nothing in the performances to suggest that we were about to get better. And he just kept on picking William when it was kind of inexplicable. Oh, God, yeah. who, who incidentally apparently is doing very well. For yeah, him. he is apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, so it was kind of hard to see how it was going to get better. But I suppose the thing is, and this was the one thing he really had in his favour, he never really seemed to lose the dressing room in a way which coaches who were doing badly seemed to. They all The players were always with him throughout. And I know it's kind of easy to say that now, but you didn't really get, apart from... Ozil briefing the press and a lot of stuff. You know, people saying, oh, we think this guy's a terrible coach. The players were always super supportive and always spoke super positively of him. Um, but I did, for a time, definitely think um, think his time was up. Yeah. Well, the one thing I would I would say, maybe just so if all does go wrong, you can come back to this moment and say, see, Ricky did suggest this, but mm. we have spent a huge amount of money. Arteta has been backed, I'd say a lot, a lot better than Emery. And they both been backed a lot better than Wenger, I think, but maybe that's opening up a can of worms, which we needn't bother opening. But Arteta has a, has had a lot of money thrown at this squad. He's, I think a, a lot of the players currently playing for Arsenal did not play under Unai Emery, which goes to show the, the turnover in, in the squad in such a short amount of time. So that that does that does speak volumes, and you'd expect us to do a lot better based on the money we've spent. But I think it's what's been crucial. And again, I don't. I have absolutely zero idea as to how much uh, say Arteta has in the signings. Some might say a lot, some might say little. I really have no idea. But the signings we made recently have been really good. Like I know yes, I spoke earlier about Vieira and whether you know again it's early days, but whether he'll come good. But our signings have been brilliant. Like if you look across the team, nearly every player in that team, other than really Saka, um, yeah. I guess really it's just Saka that hasn't hasn't been signed. I know Smith Rose obviously injured moment, but and Enketia, but we um, you know they've all been signed and they've <laughs> if you if you had to pick our best player so far this season, I think you could easily put five names in the hat and that mm. goes that speaks volumes. Yeah, recruitment has been. I think he's pretty. I think he's like it, 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 you feel like definitely he's in the, the 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 team the group that does work out who to sign, doesn't he? I think I believe you know from all or nothing. You could kind of gather that, and from what I hear, from what football journalists say, he is manager, isn't he? Of course, rather than just a coach. So I think he's definitely involved in all the decision making to a large extent across the board. So I think he has to get him and Edu and you know Vinay and all of them have to take a lot of credit. I mean, it is extraordinary to think, isn't it, Adam? Generally, that the club is being run. It feels like it almost could not be being run better. Can we say? And you know, you still got the Cronkies own the club, and you know. People, a lot of fans still deeply resent them and the whole Super League farag and all of that. But actually, the way the club's being run right now, it feels like, what what can we complain about? Yeah, I quite agree. We saw Cedric come off the bench yesterday, which I think was his first um, first appearance of the season. And that, and he sort of feels like the last real throwback to the, yeah. the previous administration and the mistakes that were made. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'd love to see him gone. But if the worst thing we're having to see <laughs> is him coming on when we're 5-0 up against Forest. I can kind of cope with it and, and and deal with it. And yeah, it does feel like 
like the club is much better run. And you can see that in the, in the supporters too. I've got a couple of silver memberships as well as, as well as my season ticket. And um, my brother's coming back to London for Christmas. So I was trying to sort out some tickets to the West Ham game. And even if you log on, as soon as the game goes on sale, it's almost impossible to get a pair of tickets now, such as like level of demand. Um, like the club has, you know, the, the, the club has been run well and supporters are clearly like fully on side, um, which is great. And, you know, happy days and, um, it's kind of great to come on this podcast and just be super positive about the club and the direction we're going. And it's really great after quite a long time where you could question that. Completely. Yeah. We should, we should mention um, Pablo Mari, that horrendous um, story of him being stabbed. And um, it was really, I thought it was brilliant the way they, they they celebrated the goal with, with the, with the um, shout for him and the big photo at the end of the game. But that is an extraordinary story, isn't it? The whole Pablo Mari thing. It's just kind of unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say any more about that? Yeah, I just thought <laughs> we should acknowledge it. I thought we should acknowledge it. Um, well, let's let's uh, look forward to um, predictions. Uh, we've got some very interesting games coming up. The um, Zurich game, I guess. Now we feel we should we need to win to top the group, and topping the group is important, isn't it, for various reasons? Um, Ricky, what do you think is going to happen in that game? 3-0, Reese Nelson hat-trick. <laughs> I fear you're not taking predictions seriously. Oh, okay, fine. 3-0, <laughs> we'll share the goals around the team. Okay, you don't have to predict who's going to score. That is an additional <laughs> element. But I'm sure Neil, who's a fan of the show, must love the prediction element as much as anything because it is the only thing that separates this Arsenal podcast from all the others, let's face it. And and us, of course. Adam, what do you think is going to happen on uh, Thursday? I think Zurich are a very limited side. Let's uh, say 4-0. Four nil, fantastic, and the really tough one I feel is the Chelsea game, um, which is an early kickoff on Sunday, isn't it? I believe. Yeah. So BT Sport twelve noon kickoff. Intriguingly, um, I feel like this is uh, by, uh, my prediction for the because it obviously really matters for the uh, for the European the Zurich game is I'm going to say three one. I think we might randomly land a goal. I don't know why, but the Chelsea game I have no idea what's going to happen. Do you, Adam? Because <laughs> they lost massively. They were doing quite well. They lost massively against Brighton. Maybe that was just because of the manager factor and all that. I don't know. What do you think? I can't see a high-scoring game. I can see them getting at us a bit, but I also feel like they're, they've got... I don't know. Sorry. You want a quick answer? I'm going to say 2-1 Arsenal. No, no, no. Doesn't, you, don't don't exactly. you can take as long as you want. <laughs> go on. I'm going to go 2-1 Arsenal. Okay. Okay, Ricky. Yeah, I'm confident. Um, I, it's not. I don't think it's the fact that Graham Potter doesn't know his best teams. Best team, he just loves to rotate. And I think whilst you know that's their first loss, I think in the or their first loss at all under his reign on Saturday. I think I think we'll win. Um, I think we'll just bring with confidence. We would have hopefully had a week's rest because I'm hoping that he plays a you know a, a relaxed team if you want to call it that on Thursday. Um, although I think they're also through maybe top of their group already, or at least they're through in the Champions League. So mm. yeah, I think we'll win. I'll go. Uh, I'll go two one as well. Can I copy Adam? I feel like we've had very similar opinions across the podcast, so I'll, I'll stick with that. That's allowed. Yeah, that's allowed. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go for an. I'm going to sit on the fence and go for a draw. I think it'll be yeah two all. And Abamian, boy, what's, what's... yeah, he'll what's probably score. Yeah, um, I guess he probably will get booed, don't yeah, he? I mean, if Graham Potter got booed at Bryson, then I'm pretty certain about me. Yeah, yeah. Stamford Bridge. I don't know. I never boo anyone. But do you think, will you be booing him, Adam? I feel you've got a booing in you. Like, you know, you probably boo I, some. I mean, I, I don't really love booing players who didn't do a lot wrong in leaving the club. Like, I've never quite got the booing Emmy Martinez thing either. No. Uh, no. Who's Emmy Martinez. Oh, yeah, it's a bit strange. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, that is weird. Because he didn't have much, you know, he was like, what do, you, what do we expect him to do? But, yeah, but fans boo if they're, if they're drawing nearly at half time. So, yeah. Do everything. Yeah, Spurs I, I think, fans are booing Spurs when they're, they're still, what, are they still third? I think they're still third. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, Aubameyang will get booed. The only, uh, if, if he'd signed for almost any other club, I could probably stomach it. But, yeah. you know, what Chelsea, Spurs, and probably United, you know, I'm going to probably boo you just because it's a bit of fun, isn't it? I don't know. Oh, you I'm, are going to burn to his face. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'll be at the ground, you know, I, and I imagine he'll, yeah, I'll probably boo him. 
But I, actually, I, I always liked Bamiang. I was always a yeah, big fan. I like, I like him. He, yeah. I wish we would have kept him. I think, you know, maybe if we had him last season, we may well have finished fourth. But he now plays for Chelsea and therefore I'm happy to give him a bad. Bad yeah, I, I I still like him. Yeah, there's he, there's this documentary on Netflix. I don't you've seen it called um, Captains, which is about different captains of of national teams and trying to get to the cup. And he's he's so likable in it. I have to say, you know, yeah, uh, he always struck me as like one. I do like yeah. him, but just for ninety minutes, I'll I'll do it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, Adam, Ricky, it's been a joy as ever. Uh, thank you very much uh, for coming. And yeah, it's 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 extraordinary to be positive and happy, isn't it? About I mean, finally, I guess before we leave, let's let's give a final. Do we think? Do, are we all now? I'm I'm now feeling that it would be we we can't throw this away now. Like in terms of top four, I'm not saying we're gonna I'm not saying we're gonna win the league. I think we will. I think we could well stay in competition with Man City, considering that Liverpool thing of how terrible Liverpool are for quite a few quite a few quite a while in this season. I don't. I I just don't. I'm not that worried about dropping off drastically. So I feel like we. I would be amazed now if we don't qualify. For the Champions League, how do you feel about that? Is, is it bad to admit that I was probably more annoyed at Kevin De Bruyne scoring than I was about uh, yeah. uh, scoring in the last minute? Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, I mean, I was really annoyed about Skurso in the last minute. To be fair, yeah, because that was yeah, that was annoying. Well, I, I had a feel. I thought City might slip up, and you know, yeah, whilst was top of the league, I'll you know want us to obviously, but you know, I think that we can win it. Obviously, we won't, but. Top four isn't as it's not as the top four isn't doesn't feel exciting when you're two points clear going into November. Is that weird? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Adam, do you think is that, are we still capable of throwing this away? I'd be very disappointed if we didn't finish in the top four now. And I know that like we're only kind of short way into the season, but it feels like we've got a bit of a buffer. It kind of feels like you could have a run of games that we had last year when we lost at home to Brighton and lost to Palace or whatever. Um, and it also just feels like we're a lot better than the bad teams now, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like we never used to really hammer anyone. Um, beating, I think Forrest had conceded two goals in four games and we we beat them 5-0, like extremely convincingly. Like no penalties and you know, they didn't have a red card or anything like that. I just think there's a lot to sit there and go, this team has kicked on to another level. It should easily be going to the final for the Champions League, particularly given the issues some of the other clubs face. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, we're 10 points ahead of Chelsea, I'm just looking at, which I didn't even realise. Like, you know, we're... Even Spurs, like, we're five points ahead with a game in hand. We're, I mean, the, the gap between us and Liverpool is fucking unreal. I mean, that's, you know, that is just amazing. So, yeah, I mean, it would be... It would take a major commitment to throwing things away if we if we didn't at least reach the top four. Thank you. As I, I am definitely thanking you now for the end of the podcast. Uh, Ricky and Adam, you've been brilliant as ever, and we'll be back this time next week. Cheers, bye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.